0: Welcome to Hard Mode. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes of the journey towards sustainable growth. Hosted and curated by the team at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Hard Mode.
1: Welcome to this episode of Hard Mode featuring Usability Hub co-founder and CEO, Matt Milisavlovich. This conversation dives into how Usability Hub operate with their three co-founder model. Their company beginnings being somewhat of a happy accident. The particulars of scaling and bootstrap tech business. How modest success can be totally acceptable when doing so. And finding true success in outcomes such as building a solid team. This episode is hosted by Tractor Ventures co-founder and CEO Matt Allen. Enjoy.
0: Hey, uh, Matt from Usability Hub. Welcome to Hard Mode Podcast.
1: Thanks, Matt. It's lovely
0: to be here. Um, You've been part of the Tractor family for a little while now, but let's go backwards. Let's let's talk about um, the beginning of Usability Hub. When did it start? Why did it start? And um, and you and your two, two co-founders, what really sort of kicked the whole thing off?
1: Yeah, sure. So
0: um,
1: I guess in a sense, Usability Hub uh, as a business uh, was kind of a bit of a happy accident um, in that you know, creating a business wasn't actually the intention at the outset. So originally um, it started off as a website called FiveSecondTest.com, secondtestcom uh, which I made with a, a neighbor friend of mine and um, and the idea came about after going to a web design conference uh, in Melbourne and hearing a talk by this guy called Robert Hochman Jr., and then subsequently uh, buying his book. Um, and um, uh, in it, he describes this research methodology called five-second testing, where you basically kind of show someone a design for a brief period of time and then ask them some questions about it. And I thought, you know, you could totally do this as a website. So Um, Yeah. My neighbor at the time had a PhD in artificial intelligence. Uh, Not that he used it for the project, but um, kind of we collaborated and built this thing. And I emailed Robert once we had it up and kind of said, Hey, you know, I saw your talk made this thing. What do you think? And uh, and he loved it and started showing it off at um, all these uh, web conferences that he was speaking at. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, So after that, Um, I started working with uh, another friend of mine called Alan, um, and we worked on it together for a couple of years. And at that point, it actually became Usability Hub as we sort of expanded the the number of methodologies that you could use. Uh, And then subsequently, Alan and I actually uh, participated in the first Startmate batch uh, with a company called Bugherd. Um, And at that point, we actually got Nick and Tristan, who are now my co-founders, uh, on board to kind of take the reins for a while. And then I rejoined in, uh, in 2015, I believe.
0: Wow. That's a...
1: Um... So it's, it's a convoluted sort of uh, origin story and a convoluted uh, co-founder story.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it is a little convoluted, but you know, I don't think too many of them are straightforward as anyone thinks. And um, tell us a little bit about sort of where you've gotten up to recently. Um, Are you guys self-funded? Are you externally funded? Um, What sort of the, what are the headline numbers at Usability Hub you talk about nowadays? Uh,
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we've we've been self-funded for, you know, since since the inception. Um, Haven't raised any external capital. Um, And in terms of where we're at, we're um, just shy of 20 people at the moment, growing, um, looking to get to hopefully around 30. Um, ideally, you know, before the end of the year, but uh, the hiring market is, is pretty brutal at the moment. So we'll, we'll see how that
0: yeah how that plays out. Yeah, you're uh, you're not the only one fighting for things. Although some of these um, overbaked, heavily uh, valued tech startups may be shedding some amazing people over the next period of time. So you might be in luck.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I've been, I've been hearing things. Given
0: that usability hub is not an overnight success and hasn't popped up in the last little while, like tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about how you think about the category of usability and the category of user testing and all the things that you guys do and what it was like, you know, back in the day and, and how it's matured over time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually like, it's a really interesting space. Um, And I, and I, I guess the UX research market and it's, you know, I think the nomenclature is still being decided whether it's user research or UX research, or maybe something else entirely. Um, But I think that generally that the market is in this phase of self-definition in the same way that I think UX design um, had a bit of an inflection point in the early, I guess, 2010s. Um, And so that process is kind of really um, the UX research discipline, figuring out the systems, the processes, the tooling, and and all the best practice that kind of ties all those things together um, in tandem with people creating products, right? So there's an interplay between the providers and the consumers of products in that space. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's interesting because when I think of category definition or category design, I often think about something that's a bit top down. So I think of like Apple, uh, launching the iPhone, for instance, and kind of creating the smartphone category, but I think in the, in this context, in our context, that process of definition is actually being done out in the open and, and kind of in close collaboration with with end users. Um, so it's, I'm sure it's you know by no means unique in that way, but I I personally just find that very um, exciting and very engaging because. You're kind of having to collect, connect a lot of disparate threads uh, all the time, and you're and you're also identifying both problems and designing solutions in this very fluid way because all these things are kind of like emerging all the time. So it's a really interesting space to be working.
0: Yeah, in. indeed. And can you talk to us a little bit around um you know what what's the the typical use case for Usability Hub? Like, can you describe? a customer, what the problem they're solving with it, you know, who they are maybe and how big they are and, and like, what does success look like for them?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I would say the typical customer um, has, you know, they tend to be larger organizations. I think um, it's oftentimes larger organizations that are sort of at the forefront of new disciplines because they can actually afford to kind of play around and, and do the legwork of developing, um, you know, the, the processes. And it's only once those processes become more mainstream that you know, they start to become more broadly uh, distributed. Um, so typically large organizations, typically UX designers, UX researchers, increasingly marketers as well. Um, but I think uh, the consumers of this research is really just everyone in the organization, right? So there's, we typically see folks that are um, you know, specific types of roles that are creating tasks and conducting the research. But then everyone's actually kind of participating in the process of leveraging that research and and turning it into something actionable within an organization. Um, as for use cases, it's it's really wildly varied. So, you know, we've had um, you know typical scenarios might be like testing websites or user interfaces, um, but we also have folks testing packaging design. So know you, you might run a five second test we've had five second tests being used for like launching a new laundry product so they'll show a packaging design and then ask questions about you know do you understand what this product does do you understand who this product is for uh we've had people um optimize uh children's book covers we've had people test um penguin enclosures at aquariums like all kinds of things. Uh,
0: I, I want to know what the, the question list after your five seconds staring at a penguin enclosure is what question number one is like, <laughs> do you know what you're looking at? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. oh, That's a uh, fascinating. Um, it's, it's interesting building such a broad tool, uh, you know, having such a large market and having such a. a it a- is. Yeah.
1: And it, and it poses its own sort of challenges as well yeah. because, um, you know, so we recently, for instance, by, by virtue of having more and more marketers in the mix, We recently um, added the ability for people to test audio and video as well. So now we have folks actually testing sort of, um, you know, TV ad campaigns as well on the platform.
0: Wow. And is that um, traditionally that would have been done in a very manual, you know, um, you know, uh, centralized sense, like come to our office or do whatever. And here you go, look at our thing and we'll ask you questions about it later.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think typically, and 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 I'm not really an, an expert in this field, but my understanding is that oftentimes you'll just kind of run things in small focus groups, and you'll have like a, an audience, and you'll you'll kind of ask them questions, and oftentimes it would be done in person. But I think you know another thing that's really been interesting um, in the UX research space is the rise of remote research, large part driven by the pandemic. Right, you can't bring people into the into a lab to kind of run. Um, you know, research studies in person anymore. So remote research has really taken off in, in quite a significant way.
0: Yeah, that's um. Yeah, it, it's the hand was forced, but it was forced well for you guys. Um, yeah. So let's just talk about sort of the re- reality of getting Usability Hub to this point. You know, as you said, bootstrapped. Yeah. So um, and, and from what I know about the business, and I, I guess I know a little bit about it, is you know it's been fairly healthily growing and profitable for quite a while now, like that is not a normal state for a tech business. It's not normal state for, um, for businesses that have such a large customer base like yours, but like, what's that reality been like, what's some of the things that like, what are some of the problems that that causes in and of itself? (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: it's, yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, and I think you rightly point out that it can be a double-edged sword. So I think particularly for a bootstrap business, um, where, you know, you're not really beholden to anyone's, uh, expectations, at least in the early phases, right. Um, you're not beholden to anyone's expectations, but your own. And really the, the only revenue that you have is, is the revenue that you derive from the business. So it creates, I guess, a little bit of a, um maybe like a tendency to be a little bit risk averse in a way. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's been a challenging thing to kind of push ourselves um, uh, against, um, you know, as you said, like we've, we've been growing and and profitable pretty much from the the start from when we started actually, you know, charging money for the, for the product. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it, it's been it's been a really fortunate ride, but one thing on you know on reflection is that um, a lot of that has been driven by that sort of interplay that I mentioned previously between us and, and customers. So I, I'm not you know I don't know if this would necessarily work for everyone, but I think the takeaway for me was just that um, you know we've been so fanatically focused and attentive to what customers are saying. And, and what they're what they're doing um, and kind of responding to that, um, which I think, you know, I'm sure that there's just an actual part that's luck, but then another part that I would just attribute to that sort of way of operating.
0: You know, you mentioned um, sort of having to convince yourself about doing the next thing or the way you described it was, you know, risk averse. Mm, right. How, how, how does that play out in, you know, a company that's got, as you said, you know, you can look in the bank account, there's plenty of money, but there's this constant tension, you know, in not just Usability Hub, but a lot of our portfolio companies, which is we've got some cash. We know we want to do something with it, but we don't quite know what yet. You know, we don't want to lose it. That risk aversion rather than the, you know, the maybe the more venture-backed, let's go, you know, let's put it all, let's push it all the chips across the table and double down on this one thing. Like how do you internally decide which direction to go amongst yourselves and your, your, your co-founders, you've got two co-founders.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I think that process is one of sort of ongoing evolution. I think, um, you know, one of the things that motivates us um, and kind of informs our decision-making process is just what's going on in the market in general. So, you know, part of the equation is what are customers saying? um and what are they asking for? How are they operating? But then also, like, what are, other com- what are other companies in the space doing? What are our competitors doing? And so we use, I guess, those two um, lenses um, to kind of inform the decision-making process. In terms of, like, pushing ourselves, you know, just to kind of um, elaborate a little bit on that previous point, I think with venture-backed businesses. There is this understanding that the expectation is that you're going to have to be really big, right? And so there is, um, I guess, like venture back businesses tend not to be satisfied with modest outcomes. They, I mean, they just can't they can't be satisfied with modest outcomes, and so it it creates an incentive to keep trying things um, until you find something that's really really significant. Right. And by virtue of having, you know, investor capital, you can kind of afford to do that in some ways. And that sort of pressure of runway also kind of makes you a lot more determined and focused to achieve that. Whereas in a bootstrap business, I think, um, you know, modest success can be um, very acceptable in that context. Um, And there isn't as strong of an incentive to kind of iterate to something colossal. And there's also like this, you know, as I mentioned before, you're far more protective of the revenue that you do have because that's, that's all you've got, right. You're not, there's not going to be any other source of revenue. So yeah, I mean, it is a challenging thing to, to combat. And I don't know if I have, you know, a really good insight here. I think the way that we've approached it is just, um, again sort of letting letting sort of customer needs determine like you know how big we should be and uh and where we should go,
0: yeah, you did mention um you know the market and what the market's doing, and you know a problem or a thing that a lot of bootstrap founders worry about are you know hugely cashed up uh, mm. competitors and, you know and you've got some that you know the the definition of your market is quite broad, so there's you know there's some local players some international players. How do you how do you deal with that sort of monkey on your back when mm-hmm. local VCs are pumping in, you know, tens of millions of dollars in fresh capital into things that technically you know rub up against what you do or even step on your toes?
1: Um well, I don't know if we think about it all that much, to be honest, mostly because um like we're actually in quite a healthy financial position. So um, you know, while it's definitely true we have uh very cashed up Competitors that are moving very quickly. I think, um, yeah, like in terms of you know our financial position, I think we can actually comfortably fund all of our growth plans, and um, I think that takes a lot of the pressure off in terms of you know comparing ourselves to others. Uh, One thing that I will say, and this is kind of an increasing, increasingly more frequent thing that I'm thinking about, is that. There is like a bit of a a difference in in signaling uh, between bootstrapped and venture-backed businesses. So, you know, one thing in in terms of attracting, you know, highly ambitious people that might already be working in in in, at venture-backed businesses, I think being bootstrapped uh, can be a little bit can make things more challenging in terms of attracting those types of people because the sell is, you know, like why would one leave a rocket ship to uh to come work at something that's a bit more uh low-key and a bit slower um mm. so it's i mean i don't have any sort of you know concrete answers here I and and i don't think that there is any sort of objective truth to be had it's just something that i've been thinking more and more about
0: yeah the um you know the hiring of talent's an interesting one because i think you know when you when you started usability hub um back in the day mm. Equity wasn't something anyone got excited about, right? I remember when I was running a recruiting company and you know, the people we were hiring we were just like that that's magic money that doesn't cost anything but doesn't make me anything either. And now we've got all got friends who have worked at Atlassian or whatever and bought a house with their equity and people are starting to pay attention to it. Um, you know, what other um we you know, we we think that, you know, equity in a tractor itself is a um, is a long term incentive. You know, the short term incentives are wrapped around um, salaries and working condition and the medium term is kind of profit share. Have you guys thought about any other mechanisms you use when when talking to people to overcome that problem you just mentioned, which is come and work with us, you know, it's it's not, uh, we're a different beast and here's how?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there is more to be figured out in terms of actually creating, um, you know, a compelling narrative because, so I mean I will I will say that you know we have a, a profit um, share distribution as well uh, and we're currently putting together um, a, a share option pool. Um, so you know the 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 offer that we have is kind of commensurate with um, or it's sort of comparable to um, to other places and, and venture back places. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that is I think challenging is is really the strong associations um, that folks have with bootstrap businesses, I think there's often a connotation that it's like a lifestyle business. Um, and so you kind of ha- have to almost actively fight against that. Like in, in our case, mm. you know, we're, we're really sort of, uh, you know, working as hard as we can to grow and and be ambitious. And we, ha- and we're, you know, always tackling <laughs> more stuff than we, uh, that we can. Um, so, you know, it's by no means uh, a lifestyle business but nonetheless i think that there's this strong connotation that i think um, is is a tricky one to to actually fight against
0: yeah it's, it is a tricky one i think i think um you know the the, the best trick that a lot of the, the the devil vcs have played is that they've convinced everybody that you're venture backed and important or you're not and there's only two types mm-hmm. um, and we know attractive that's just not true right you know part of the reason you're part of the Tractor family, although you didn't need our capital, you've come to you know hang out with other founders like yourself that are growing extremely impressive businesses that have down gone down the traditional route. Um, maybe touch on that a little bit. Some of the some of the things that that you know some of the questions you had when you came and started hanging out with us and some of the, maybe some of the answers that you found along the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, yeah, for context here, like all three founders in the business are um, from, from product backgrounds and, and historically um, we've been quite, you know, hands-on heads down uh, which was great in some ways because as I said, you know, super focused on, on making a really solid product, but then eventually you kind of reach a, a threshold where you um, the more important aspect of success is actually uh, building a solid team. Um, And so for us, like this is where Tractor has been most valuable in terms of um, providing advice on, you know, how to structure ESOPs and informing our people in culture strategy and and even like referring candidates over to us. Um, And, you know, you folks have been uh, and, and not just the tractor team, but also just the, the tractor network and the community um, have been just an amazing sounding board uh, for the never ending list of, of things that come up when uh, <laughs> as you're growing a business. And, you know, sometimes you just want to hear from someone that's done the thing before and can kind of warn you about the gotchas. So it's really been extremely yeah. useful for us.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that sort of that scale up program, which is which is what you're part of there, is was built for that problem. Which is not everybody needs capital. Well, I certainly don't need capital today. But uh, the the challenge of not having external investors is not having those sounding boards. And I think you you articulated it really well there. Which is, geez, it'd be nice to talk to someone that is is aligned with with a successful outcome here. That um, you know, that isn't going to try and buy my shares off me or you know send me down a route that doesn't work. Um, I'm glad glad that's working for you. Um, maybe yeah. shifting gears a little bit. What tell us something along, you know, as you said, you've been uh, in, involved in usability hub for a long time now. There must have been some moments along that that um, the timeline of this business where you've just gone, geez, I can't believe that just happened. Um, hopefully, positive ones. You know, any personal ones or personal or, or business ones where you've just gone, maybe we're onto something here. This is pretty exciting.
1: Um- yeah, sure. So I think there's like, well, um, there's like a, I guess, an inflection point in the business. Um, so um, so this is like going a few years back now. So in, in 2018, we basically completely overhauled the product. Um, it was like a ground up rewrite um, to both sort of extend the capabilities, but it also involved a, you know, a complete redesign a change in pricing—it was a colossal project. It, kind of, it took six, seven months to, to complete. So, in some ways, it's kind of like a textbook case study and what not to do. Uh, in that, you know, in changing so many things all at once is uh, it's kind of, and making that big committing move is quite risky. But I think one thing that we were really confident about is that we we had been collecting just a wealth of customer feedback, and we're. And had been like really sort of meticulously connecting all these different dots, like all these different things that customers were telling us and kind of finding patterns. And it's like, OK, cool, this makes sense. And actually, if we do you know, approach it this way, we actually address all of these concerns. Um, and, you know, it, it ended up being a significant uh, change in the trajectory of the business. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we'd had um, steady year on year growth since the very beginning. Um, but then in 2018, when we launched, you know, we relaunched the website we really relaunched the product, um, the line just changed in a way that just, just made previous years look kind of flat. Um, (laughs) and, um, you know, it was, it was really at that point, you know, that, the, that as a team, we were kind of like, okay, we've, we've just unlocked kind of a, a new level here. Um, so that was, that was a really, um, yeah, that was a really uh, positive experience. Um, yeah. And, um, and a real milestone. Um,
0: and obviously, um, you know, rapid top line growth in a bootstrap business like this is exciting. Um, you know, w- what does that actually translate to? Like, did it, did it translate into everyone working harder? Did it translate to a bigger crew? Did it translate into, you know, the everyone being able to sort of de-risk it a little bit and take some money out of the business? Like, what actually happened once you you were confident that line was going to keep going up and to the right like that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, um, amusingly, like, not, not a heck of a lot. I mean, like, the, the big thing that changed is that we actually just started growing the team. So, um, as I said, like, uh, up until actually that point, like, for that particular project, um, the myself and the two other founders were actually still really quite hands-on. Um, and uh, and we were also working with um, mostly a remote team at, at that point, but like remote in the sort of, in a very naive way, we had like basically every member of the, of the team other than the founders was like in a different time zone and it just, <laughs> it did not work well. And we were thinking like, oh, maybe we were doing something wrong, but it, actually we we're just kind of hitting real sort of logistical challenges that, you know, we, we ended up deciding like that wasn't going to work for us. So the really sort of significant change that happened after 2018 is that we decided to go all in on, on sort of growing the, the Melbourne team and, and um, yeah. And also making that shift from, you know, being hands-on uh, building the product to being hands-on building the, the team and building the, the business.
0: Yeah right. And um tell us a little bit about the team. Now how how many of you say there were?
1: So it's just shy of 20. So I think it's it might actually be bang on 20 actually.
0: Yeah right. And um and how's that split amongst um roles?
1: Uh so we have uh like five, six people on the product team. Um there's um a couple of people in ops, three people, uh, four people in sales. Um the few people in customer support, um, and, and then also the founders. And we have, we have a few folks that also um, handle the sort of um, panel QA side of things. So our product is both a platform for conducting research, but then also a, um, a panel that you can recruit participants to take part in that research. And as part of that offering, we actually do um, sort of quality assurance work um, as well. So we have folks that kind of work on, on that team, too.
0: That's awesome. Um, you know, you get a lot of stuff done with very few people, um, which is always uh, a, something that I admire. I think, um, you know, capital efficiency. And if you can keep your customers happy, your staff happy, and not have, a, you know, a squillion people around who uh, to do it, then like that's sign of a great business in my mind. Um, so congratulations on that. Oh, well, thanks. That's um, lovely to hear. <laughs> um what's is there anyone in particular that, that you admire you've been in business and tech for a long time about as long as me um like who stands out as someone as someone that you really sort of in, enjoy the way they they go about their their life mm.
1: um so I will say that I don't tend to sort of uh, pay too much attention to other companies I guess so you know I mostly just spend my time focusing on on our customers, Um, but they're definitely companies that I admire. Um, One company that you're very familiar with is uh, Buildkite. Um, They're a local Melbourne-based company, um, and I happen to know a few people there um, personally, and I've chatted with a bunch of them. And the thing that I really like about Buildkite is just the the high degree of integrity that they have um, and the high degree of care for their team. I think it's like they've, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, they're kind of a, a benchmark for me in terms of, um, yeah, just just how well they take care of their team um, and and their approach to growth as well. I think, um, you know, they kind of um, kind of ha- like do do the right balance of, you know, taking on board some investment, but also growing in a very thoughtful, considered way as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really a lot to like.
0: Yeah, there's, there's certainly something about, you know, focusing on your team. I, um, I speak to my team all about it all the time around you know, my time at Amazon. They would talk about being customer obsessed. And it's an interesting thought process because at a certain point, especially when you, you know, at the management level that you are and I are, I'm team obsessed. It's like, if I can build the right team, the team will sort the customers out. And I guess, you know, the customer obsession is the the thing you want the people at the edges dealing with the customers to think about. But at some point in time, it's building the machine that builds the machine yeah. is really where you get the efficiency.
1: It's, it's, I, I definitely agree. Um, but I will be honest and like and candid about myself and, and, and say that I think in my instance, like, I think, where my affinities and where my strengths lie are on the customer end of things and so it's an interesting thing to kind of figure out like how to because i agree right an obsession with the team and kind of a focus on the team is critical so i think one of the things that's you know um um, an ongoing uh, thing to figure out is how to actually build that sort of team obsession capability within usability hub Um, not to say, not to say that, you know, (laughs) building the team is, is something that's not a, not a focus and priority. It's just that I, I do. Yeah. I want to be sort of, um, I guess authentic about where my sort of strengths lie. And so like, how do I, how do I build a team and how do I build a culture that helps, um, augment the areas where, you know, I'm not as strong. Um,
0: so I think you can do both. Like, I think it's an and not an or. Like I, as, as a leader, you know, if you, if you're too far away from the customer, you, you're going to lose, lose track of that stuff. Right. We all see some very public leaders losing, losing contact with, um, you know, the actual thing that their customers are doing. I think mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. too yeah. often. Yeah. I mean, even, 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 you know, with my CEO I had on a track, there is, is, you know, my, my job is mostly to make sure that we have enough capital to deploy to help as many founders as we can. But, um, you know, every day I'm talking to and thinking about the problems founders face and how we can help solve them, even though, you know, uh, I'm not in the weeds every day In you know, that's not part of my job um, all day, every day. But I think the minute you stop is the minute it all falls apart. So mm-hmm. I think you're on the right thing there. Like I don't, don't, don't stop. <laughs> it, it'll get worse if you stop. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm, um, What's, what's next for Usability Hub? Um, you know, where 12 months time. So halfway through next year where you mentioned earlier that you, you know, you're scaling that team up, Yeah. but from a, um, maybe just from a sort of a more macro perspective, where, where do you think you might be?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think we tend to kind of plan in sort of uh, concrete increments. So we'll kind of map out the roles that we need and kind of the projects that we want to be tackling. And so we, we tend not to look very far into the future. Um, and I guess like at the moment, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on. So on the product side of things, we're actually working on uh, some new products um, that we're pretty excited to be launching uh, later this year. So the intention is to actually have a new product out in the market um, towards the end of the year. And, uh, and then in terms of um, you know overall top line growth, um, looking to basically double revenue by the end of the year and, and sort of grow the team by uh, 50% or so. Um, so at the moment, we're hiring a couple of product designers and then adding a bunch of people in sales, marketing and customer success. Customer success is actually a team that we're that we're going to be building out from scratch. Um, so we have a bunch of roles that are going to be kicking off in the coming months. Um, and yeah, and as I mentioned, I think the, the plan at the moment, given sort of what we've mapped out, probably gets us to about 30-odd people or so.
0: Yeah, wow. Uh, amazing. I think, um, you know, your customers uh, growing quickly as well, obviously, realizing that mm-hmm. the impact of using Usability Hub in, inside their businesses is shortcutting a bunch of their manual offline clunky processes. And obviously, um, hopefully, they're telling the rest of the organization uh, as they do it, which is super exciting. It's been really um, really great having you um, part of the Tractor um, family. And... Um, and helping you out with some of those things i think our team is you know enjoys speaking to pragmatic uh you know ambitious founders who want to take in as much information as they can use that and then you know make those decisions just get on with it which is definitely how we, we see you guys um and just want to say thank you very much for your time today this has been really great i hope um it was useful saying some of those things out loud um it's hard to to reflect on some of your success sometimes so yeah thanks very much for your time matt
1: likewise yeah it was a really really great conversation I, I really
0: enjoyed it thanks for having me fantastic thanks mate
1: Just, bye. that was hard mode with usability hub co-founder and ceo matt milisavlovich in conversation with tractor ventures co-founder and ceo matt allen you can find usability hub online at usabilityhub.com and on twitter at usabilityhub. thanks for joining us see you next time